Hello listeners, Kathy Lawless, Life Story Curator, bringing you the podcast series, How Did I Get Here? A series of interviews designed for people just starting out in their careers, people in transition or possibly feeling stuck, and giving them access to the stories of people who have been there, done that, so that they might be inspired with some new ideas, or maybe just comforted knowing they are not alone, that everybody starts somewhere, and everybody goes through times of transition and times when they feel stuck. Today, I'm very excited to be interviewing Christina Valenzuela. Welcome, Christina. Thank you, Kathy. And I always love when uh, a fellow podcast interviewee, in this case, Jamie Walsh, uh, you know, when you when I meet someone and get to know their story, then they introduce me to someone else they think I should know. And that is the case here with Christina. So mm -hmm. she and I chatted, what, about a month ago and uh, what, it was scheduled for a half hour. I think it went an hour, maybe an hour and a half, hour and a half. So we, yeah. uh, now we had so much in common and so many interesting topics. So very excited to bring her story. So Christina is the owner of Pearl and Thistle, which is, and which is, uh, fertility and cycle education. Mm -hmm. And so she will tell us more about that in just a bit. But first, as you know, listeners love to start with the icebreaker questions. So Christina, tell us where you grew up, uh, how many kids in your family, where you were in the birth order and how you think all of that kind of shaped you as an adult. Sure. So I'm a Midwestern girl at heart. I, I now live on the East coast, um, but I was born in Wisconsin and I grew up in Indiana and Illinois I have two younger sisters, so I'm the oldest of three girls. Um, I definitely think birth order influences a lot of our personality. You know, the, the oldest child is always the one who's supposed to be responsible and set a good example. And so you kind of put a lot of burdens on yourself to like, to, to be a good example and to, uh, to kind of take on some responsibilities, um, even when your parents don't ask you to, because then you like to say, well, I'm the big sister, so. Yeah. <laughs> You I have a little your, clout here. You extend um, your power of authority a little bit more than that's right. <laughs> I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, maybe my personality, my inherent personality kind of uh, lent itself to that as well. Um, but, you know, I think my upbringing, uh, I, I grew up in a very supportive, warm, loving family. We're all very close. I mean, I got to see both of my sisters over, well, <laughs> I got to talk to one of my sisters uh, over Christmas. We couldn't actually travel, um, but then the other one came to visit. And then, so we're, we're in contact all the time and uh, we have a good relationship. So um, I definitely feel supported in my family life, with, yeah. which is nice. So what's the age difference between the three of you? Oh, uh, we're all just two years apart. So it's two years between me and my middle sister and then another two years after that. So we're very close in age. Oh, okay. I, I have two sisters. I'm in the middle. And oh, okay. Three of us in three years. So that's, Oh, so you're even closer. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, that's uh, pretty fun. But I, uh, so being in the middle, I got to see the older sister and how she uh, <laughs> asserted her authority, but also with us as the youngsters, right? But also with the parents, right? And got to see mm -hmm. what, uh, what battles she chose to fight and um, then decided what I would like to do next, you know, yeah. I'm the rule follower. <laughs> I was going to say, were you the peacemaker between your, your two other sisters? Were Absolutely. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's what my middle sister, she's the peacemaker. Yeah. <laughs> well, and my sisters are kind of unique because I said three years and it's three years to the day because they're born on the same day, three days, oh three years apart. So my oldest sister always said that my youngest sister 
spoiled her third birthday and everyone yeah. since then. But now that we're older, I think she celebrates that. But on occasion, she'll she'll bring that up every once in a while. So. <laughs> we love our sisters. Yeah, but oh yeah, love my sisters to death. So so what kind of activities uh, did you participate in as a youngster? Well, as a kid, I mean, I lived in Indiana, so I was on the basketball team because who wasn't on the basketball team? Um, I, do, I don't have an athletic bone in my body, but I was on the basketball team. Um, but I guess back sorry. then, everybody's kind of the same height, right? Kids yeah. are <laughs> at that age. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we had a, I remember my first basketball uh, kind of clinic we went and it maybe, I can't remember if it was kindergarten or first grade, and they actually modified the rules of the game. So that if you hit the rim of the basket, you got a point because it was so hard for them to like get the ball up there. Uh, so and was the rim lower, or did they have it at the stand? Oh, it was definitely low. Like <laughs> so, they, the bars were really low for this. That's right. They just everybody really wanted to play basketball. That's what we were doing. Um, you know, I was I was not a really athletic kid by nature. I did a couple dance classes and things, but my uh, my preference was more music. So I play piano. And then when I got older, I did theater in high school. And um, so, so those were kind of, the arts were kind of more my, my comfort zone than the sports. Okay. Uh, introvert or extrovert? Extrovert. Yep. Oh, like off the charts or just solid? I, yeah, I know. I, I think pretty far off the charts. Um, <laughs> yeah, COVID has been hard. It's <laughs> getting my extrovert fix. I mean, I went to the mall, I think for the first time, maybe in August to do a little bit of shopping. And I, it was like, I was high. I was like, there's people. I, like, I am so excited and energized right now. I almost cried in the middle of the mall because I was so happy. So any of you extroverts out there that are struggling, uh, I am with you. <laughs> my older sister, same thing, off the charts, extrovert. And I'm wondering huh. if that's a, an older child or an older sibling trait as well. So yeah. much. I, I love that question because uh, I've learned so much and see so much now when you start looking at people and, and how that shapes them. It totally shapes them in, in terms mm -hmm. of their their kind of how they came into the world and what their role was, et cetera. So absolutely. Okay. So on the fun meter scale of one to five, one being couch potato and five being life of the party, uh, where do you put yourself? Oh, I, I, I think I have to give myself a solid three. I was thinking about this. Um, I'm super fun with things like karaoke and game nights. I love to go out dancing and host cocktail parties, but you know, coming back to this like sports thing, you know, if somebody says, hey, let's go water skiing. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'll just, <laughs> just sit here and knit. Like, um, so I think it, it really depends on kind of what your, what your idea of fun is. I can be super fun with some things and then other things. I'm like, oh, you go ahead. It's all right. You go ahead. Okay. Yep. How about on the risk meter? Same scale, one to five, one being low risk, five high risk. Where do you put yourself? Uh, you know, I think I'm actually a very risk averse person and I'm afraid that I'm going to contradict myself uh in this in this podcast but if I think about it you know I've had people tell me that I that I'm a risk taker and that I'm just not afraid to do things and I think that's just an external perception um you know what we think is risky is related to what we perceive to be threats in our values so like some people will say like, oh, you're such a risky person because I dyed my hair blue once in college. And I was like, but, but like, I don't really value my hair color all that much. Like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't threaten my inner sense of well-being uh, to have my hair turn out a weird color. So 
um, you know, I'll, I'll put myself out there because I like to get in front of problems rather than have them catch up with me later. But um, I think in general, I, I tend to be fairly risk averse. You know, that's such an interesting topic you bring up about our own value system. I wonder if I should ask the question, what mm-hmm. do others think your risk level is? You know what I mean? Because it's maybe mm-hmm. the outside views it differently than you on the inside. Because I know with certain people, you know, it's not risky to start their own business, but other people would never do something like that, right? Or, right. you know, or, you know, you look at the adrenaline junkies who are the bungee jumpers, skydiver, you know, kind of thing. And then, mm-hmm. you know, so sometimes they say, interesting. Yeah, maybe I need to pose that question a little differently. But well, thank no, you. No, thank you for sharing question. that. I love how this, these icebreakers really give us such an insight into who you are so that now as we hear more about your story and your journey, kind of all of that is factored mm-hmm. in. So, so let's talk now. Tell us a little bit about what it's like to be the owner of Pearl and Thistle and, and you know, your focus on fertility and cycle education. Yeah, so I am, I'm a business of, of one. Um, I never thought I would be a business owner, but here I am. Uh, the work that I do, fertility and cycle education, I have kind of different prongs to the work that I do. And I really got started with it um, on the fertility education side. So I work with couples who want to learn how to do something called what natural family planning or fertility awareness methods for either postponing or achieving pregnancy. Um, So I've been trained as an NFP instructor since 2013. And then through that work kind of realized that that we have a big education gap that there's a lot of information we're not given as women about our bodies and that we could start filling that gap a bit earlier, that there's some, you know, cycle education that could be really beneficial to, you know, let's say a girl before she gets her cycle. Um, So that's what I've started doing now is kind of trying to address that need and trying to make quality cycle education that's really science-based um, and, and helpful and empowering to young girls to help them navigate some of these body changes and to really understand what's going on with their body rather than some other programs may focus on like how to manage something like period bleeds or whatever. I hope any of your male listeners aren't like cringing right now, but, um, (laughs) but you know, we're taught how to use sanitary products and then sent on our merry way. But like, what if we actually really understood the complex science and the biology that's going on behind our cycles? Um, because cycles are so much more than just periods. Uh, so I'll leave it at that. That's maybe a little bit of a teaser, but so that's the education part of my business. And then I also do speaking gigs. You know, I talk about, uh, body literacy is the term that I like, you know, learning to read the signs of our body and to appreciate and respect the work that our body does. So that would be the other side is just kind of showing up at women's groups or young adult groups and, and trying to talk to them about the importance of, of understanding these things about our bodies. Wow. You know, it's such an awkward stage as a teenager, right? So much is changing. Yep. I remember those days and I, you know, I didn't even want to know about it. And then when I learned about, and then, but you have to deal with it because it's going to happen That's to right. your body. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, to be, to have more education and not have any embarrassment or shame or, you know, cause you know, learning about it from your mom sometimes is odd, or maybe it's from your sisters. So yeah, mm-hmm. to hear from it from a really fact-based education standpoint would take mm-hmm. a lot of the stigma, I think off of it. So well, I commend you for the work that you're doing. Thank and, you. Um, so I, I got to ask, uh, when you were in junior high, high school, is this what you thought you would be doing when you grew up? Is this oh, what gosh. you wanted to be? <laughs> no, 
No, decidedly not. Uh, I didn't even know that this was something that you could do. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, no, when I was in high school, I, I loved the allure of theater. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of had these grand ideas about, oh, maybe I'll go to Broadway. And so, I don't know, I entertained some fleeting thoughts about going to music school for college, but didn't end up doing that. Uh, when I got to college, I decided, you know, maybe I would really like to be a doctor because I love biology. Biology was always, I think that's going to be a common thread oh, in terms of my okay. life that, that biology was really interesting to me. I love science and I especially loved like learning about how science works in our bodies. Um, and so I thought I'll be a doctor. And then what happened was I went to the University of Notre Dame and they have kind of a standard course that freshmen need to take uh, that's theology and philosophy. And I started to get really interested in these topics, um, questions surrounding bioethics. You know, how do we apply medicine in a moral way? How do we treat people with dignity? Um, and so I kind of decided to switch my major away from pre-med. And I kitted myself into thinking maybe I was going to do like pre-law with this. And that didn't go anywhere. So... <laughs> I think maybe I was trying to kid my dad into thinking I was doing pre-law because he really wanted to have a doctor. And so if he couldn't have a doctor in the family, maybe a lawyer, and now he's got a fertility and psycho educator. So I don't know what to say about that. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, making all these changes in your, um, in your major based on what, you know, is tickling you from an interest, right? This really, yes. you know, grabbing you and saying, well, this is what, uh, what's really interesting. So, so mm -hmm. what did you end up getting a degree in? And then kind of, did you go on to grad school or what, you know, what was kind of next steps or did you get a, what was that first job? Yeah. So I got what's called a joint degree. So it's not exactly a double major, but it was just a joint degree in both philosophy and theology. I went, I went through with that and then right after college, I accepted an internship at Campus Ministry in Notre Dame, and I actually worked in music. So I was interning with one of the choir directors for the big church that's on campus there mm -hmm. and got to do a lot of work there. Um, but I had actually, I mean, I guess just to backpedal a little bit, that first job working in campus ministry was not what I had thought I was going to do. What I thought I was going to do with my degree was to go on and get a master's in ministry um, and to, to learn, you know, kind of uh, tools for ministry working within churches, within the Catholic church specifically. And I had been accepted into a grad program to do that. And then this other thing fell on my plate and I said, well, I'm not, I'm not interested like, I'm just not interested in doing this music thing. Like music is a hobby and it's a love of mine, but like not what I really want to work in. And, uh, well, my mind got changed. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, and then financially, what kind of, I mean, when you start talking about these roles in ministry in the church, mm. is there, are there, are these paid roles? I, I, I'm not very educated on that or. No, that's a good question. Yeah. So they are, they are paid roles. So, you know, we think about church ministry maybe being relegated to the clergy like to, to priests or to deacons or people who have like kind of formal roles yeah, of ministry yeah. but but really honestly a lot of the work on the ground is done by what we call lay people um you know just people who are dedicated members of the church who are going to run all of your bible studies and your religious education programs for the kids and 
Um, you know, they're going to manage kind of coordinating the weddings or, you know, all sorts of other things that happen mm -hmm. within the life of a church. Um, those roles are usually filled by people who, who work for the church. Um, so that was kind of my intention. I mean, I obviously wasn't in it for the money. <laughs> I, I was a far cry from my doctor or my lawyer aspirations at that point, but yeah. But it was so fulfilling probably spiritually and kind of you as a whole person that that's kind of the direction you were going. Yeah, yeah. And I was just intrigued to, I think I was curious about why I was so drawn to ministry. Um, it wasn't anything that I had ever grown up thinking about, right? And so when something piques your interest and you're like, oh, this is strange. Like, um, I wanted to kind of follow that curiosity and see where it would lead. Um, and so that's that's why I was just like, well, it, just, it makes sense for this to be the next step because I'm still interested in this. So let's just go forward. Yeah. Um, but then I didn't end up going into that grad program. I did a year of internship with campus ministry, and then I did um, a more academic degree in theology at Harvard after that. Um, but I didn't end up going into that ministry degree. So, wow. So now Notre Dame to Harvard. So how does how does that leap happen? <laughs> well, uh, so I guess I have to throw in my husband in the equation. Um, when I took the internship to stay at Notre Dame for one more year, I was single at the time and I was not interested in dating anybody. I was very clear about that. And then February of senior year, I met this guy and I, I was, I liked him, but I was not interested in a relationship because I was like, well, he's going to be graduating and leaving and I'm staying here. Turns out he was staying for a fifth year that he was doing a dual degree program that, that had him staying for five years. So he was also staying for one more year. Oh, imagine that. They both staying for a year. <laughs> mm -hmm, exactly. So anyway, so, so we, we started dating at that point towards the end of senior year. And then, you know, two summers later ended up getting married. And at that point though, you know, he was going to do his PhD in uh, mechanical engineering and I was thinking about a master's in theology and we thought where on earth are we going to find a school where we can both go and I can do theology and he can do the engineering that he wants to do and so we had pairs of schools kind of around the country and it just so happened that Harvard and MIT are right down the street from each other and they both had spots for us so we did it so we moved to Boston and, and started our life here. Yeah. Well, and I love how you say, and it just so happens, you know, getting into those two schools, <laughs> uh, not so easy, right? But it just so happens they had spot for it. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's kind. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So obviously there's some brains in this, uh, in this family. <laughs> Thank you. That's sweet. Yeah. I'll, I'll give my husband the credit for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So now you're on to your, your grad school at Harvard. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's at MIT. So, you know, was there, uh, were, were you working then to supplement income? And so, I mean, I'm thinking both of you yeah. full, full time probably. And then how did you support yourself? That's a pretty, pretty big nut. <laughs> it, yeah, it was. Yeah. So he, um, the way that MIT works, it was nice because he basically went straight into research. You know, they get picked up by a research lab and then they get paid to do research as students. So yeah, as that part was covered. Great. Um, in terms of me, uh, I actually, we moved to Boston and I got a phone call not two months later from a friend that I had known from Notre Dame who was doing 
church ministry in a parish outside of Boston. And she said, I need a piano player. I'm running this children's choir and I can't do it all by myself. You know, what do you think? Can you come on out to this parish and can you help me out with this children's choir? So here's the music thing again, right? That's my other thread. It keeps, it keeps coming. <laughs> yeah. So I said, yes, absolutely. You know, I need, I need a few extra dollars every week. So I started uh, working at that parish. And then what happened was after I graduated, it was a two-year program for me. And I decided not to pursue a PhD right away for various reasons. And uh, I went to the, the pastor of that parish when I graduated. And I said, look, like, um, I, I don't have paid insurance anymore through my through my degree program. Uh, you know, we have a baby now that was in the mix. And so I basically just begged him for a job. I said, look, like I am a jack of all trades when it comes to doing things around here. Like I can keep doing music. I could run an adult group. I could whatever. And so he said, you know, I have a group of high schoolers. <laughs> I need somebody to teach our high school classes. And so he gave me a pity job. I mean, it was, it was so nice of him. I mean, he looked at this young struggling couple with a baby and here I was just begging for a job and he's like, sure, I can give you employment. And so, uh, it was very kind of him actually incredibly kind of him. Um, and I accepted that eagerly because I'll take, I would take anything we could get. And so I stayed on at that parish for a couple of years while we, my husband was still, uh, finishing up and then, um, I mean, I can just keep going. Then I worked at campus ministry for MIT because they needed somebody there. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, so this ministry piece just continues. It just and keeps again, going. Mm -hmm. I always thought, I, I guess the ministry was, you know, if you went in, you, uh, you would, as women, I thought you could only go in if you be became a nun and therefore you weren't married and have a family. Right, right. Yeah. And, yeah. Anyway, so learning so much about the roles and the jobs and the the work that needs to be done. Cause you're right. There's all that, oh my that gosh. behind the scenes, or I guess it's probably more the scenes, right. Than the, the public mm -hmm. very, you know, service side of it. So interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So ministry kept calling music, yep. kept calling mm -hmm. where, where next? Well, so I think the thing, the big piece was getting trained as a family planning instructor. Um, so I wanted to use a natural method of family planning and what happened was I went in, after I had my first baby, I went into my six-week follow-up as you do, and I talked with the nurse practitioner, and I said, you know, I, I've been doing this thing, I've been charting my fertility, I've been using this symptothermal method, and these may be totally words that your listeners don't understand yet, but I invite you to learn more. Um, yeah. And I said, so where can I learn how to do this now that I've had a baby? And like, where can I get some better training for this? And she looked at me like I had grown a second head or something. And unfortunately, the conversation just went south from there. You know, she thought that I was, I don't know what she thought I was trying to do. I was just trying to ask for help. Um, and she ended up throwing me out of her office. Oh, wow. I not, yeah. Uh, this sounds a little dramatic, but she actually told me, she said, well, when you end up pregnant again in three months, don't call me because I won't see you again as a patient. Wow. And I thought, oh, wow. And I cried myself. I like hopped on the T. <laughs> I was like, I got on the train to go back home. I was just crying like on public transit. I was, um, I was heartbroken and I, um, I even had gone to my, my parish priest and said, you know, do you know of anybody who does this ministry? 
Um, and he said, unfortunately, I just, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. He's like, I don't do family planning. Yeah. Um, and yet this is what the church, you know, kind of promotes, right? Encourages. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Encourages. But without and the education, that's interesting. Okay. I know. So, well, here, that's, here's where my thing comes in. So mm -hmm. I thought to myself, I said, you know, if this is what the church wants to encourage, and we want to support people in this, we need to do a better job of getting people educated and making these resources available. And it quickly became apparent to me that this was a role for the lay people. That like priests, I mean, they have a lot of stuff on their plate. And to be perfectly frank, like family planning conversations are not their cup of tea. They, they, they really don't want to be sitting down and talking to couples about this stuff. Um, but, you know, they need to know what the resources are and they need to have resources to give people. And so, you know, I started looking into it. I was able to find an instructor and she was incredible, just a really, really devoted, wonderful woman who is now a very good friend of mine. And she told me, she said, you know, we are going to be training some more instructors. Why don't you come on down? And I thought, yes, I am going to be a part of the solution. Like I'm going to join her and I'm going to make sure that other people have access to this. And so I went back to my priest and I was like, so I want to do this training program, but I don't have any money. So how about if we strike a deal? How about if you pay for my training program, I will offer this for free in your parish. And he's like, sure. Great. Let's do it. Wow. So, well, great proposal, right? I, mean, I know. And, um, you know, knowing what you want, mm -hmm. going to the decision maker and pitching it and there's something in it for them and there's something in it for you. So, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's so how that's it's how kind I of a risky trained. move there, by the way. I think that's a you know on the five on the <laughs> year. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should keep a, a track of this. What were yeah. the risky moves that Christina? Yeah, your other you called a pity uh, a pity ask for a job, but in a way, you know, you were you were also pitching yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like I'm here. Please give me money. Like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess it do it doesn't hurt to ask, and I you know that's the other thing too is you know you develop relationships with people along the way. And if somebody's starting out in business and they really don't know how to go about it, you know, follow your intuition and just say like, who are, who are the people that I trust have my best interest at heart? Um, who are the people that I feel like I can be vulnerable with? And just ask them, ask them for help because you could get pleasantly surprised. I was ready for him to say no, but um, he didn't. So that worked out in my favor, yeah. Well, Anna, I wonder how many uh, stories there would be uh, if I asked that question. Uh, did you really expect them to say no? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and then, you know, what's the percentage of people saying yes when you pitch when you pitch ideas, right? It's right. probably much higher than all of us have in our heads. And that's what usually stops us, right? Is, oh, I have to have it all thought out. I have to have it figured out what the class is going to look like. You know, and yet you don't mm -hmm. even have the education yet. So you're really right. just, you know, pitching an idea. So great. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. Lesson. So you, you go and you get certain, do you, is this a certification then or what, mm -hmm. uh, what kind of program? Yep. yep. Yeah. It's a certification. So you go through just kind of extensive kind of on, on-site training, just learning the basics of, of the science and everything and the practices. Um, and, you know, you go through classes and then you go through an extended kind of period of practicum where you're, you're supervised by somebody else. So you take on a certain number of couples and coach them and, you know, you get feedback from your supervisor. And so after a certain number of successful supervision uh, classes, then you're, then you're certified. So, um, yeah, I think and the what process. institution like has this program? What is it through 
a, a ministry or is it through a university or a medical? So the one that I did specifically at the time was through the Archdiocese of Boston. So the, the Catholic offices for, for, um, for Boston had a program at the time where they, they would train in a, in a particular method called Boston Crosscheck. Um, but there are actually lots of different methods out there, and some of them are trained through universities. So the Marquette University, through their nursing school, they actually have their own method that they train in. Um, and there's all sorts of other kind of independent research organizations. Um, Creighton University has a method that was developed there. Uh, Georgetown has some things that they've developed. So there are universities that are players in this, and there are some kind of freestanding organizations, but mine was just through through the church, actually. They happened to have something, yeah. but that's not always the case. Yeah. So you went from talking to your your doctor or a nurse practitioner, I wasn't sure which you said, if it was mm -hmm. a doctor or a nurse, and that said, you know, basically there's, you know, wasn't any education on this, finding out all these universities offer it. Mm -hmm. Church offers. I mean, there's a lot of education out there. You just have to know where to look and, and be asking yeah. questions. Huh. Yeah, you have to know where to look. It is, it is, you know, it's not something that we frequently talk about. And so even knowing like, how do I Google this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. I'm not entirely sure what I'm looking for here. So um, yeah, so having that connection with with the one woman that I connected with was was kind of key. Yeah. That was my in. Yeah. So you, you complete the program. How long was the program, did you say? Is it two years? or? I think it was probably about a year and a half okay. from start to finish um, by the time I had wrapped up with all of my my couples that I was kind of doing the, the supervised teaching with. Yeah. Yeah, because you have to have some hands-on experience, right? Mm -hmm. Before you just kind of turn you out and say, go, go forth. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You have to you have to prove that you know the material well enough to be able to teach it to somebody else. And you have to prove that you can actually help them successfully navigate their charts um, before they'll set you loose. So, yeah. And then so you go back to the uh, the church that you where you had your sponsor from. Right. Mm -hmm, and that's so right. Yeah. now you're doing it for free. For <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And uh, and, you know, one of the the kind of pivotal moments. I filed it away at the time. I think it wasn't a, a turning point for me, but it was something that that really struck me. Uh, and I've carried it through and it became a turning point, I think, later mm -hmm. on, um, was I was working with one woman who herself was a nurse and um, she was planning on getting married and she really wanted to start having a family right away. And so she had come to me saying, you know, can I just learn about this before I get married? Because, you know, I, I really want to try to have children. And um, so we were, we were sitting and talking one day, going through the materials, and she started to cry. And I thought, oh, no, what have I done? I'm a horrible teacher. Um, and so I just paused and I said, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry if I said something to upset you. Do you want to talk about it? And she said, oh, no, it's nothing that you said. It's just that I'm learning so much about the amazing work that my body does. She said, I'm a nurse. I've been through nursing school and I never learned any of this about myself. And I'm just feeling a little angry and kind of betrayed right now. Oh, interesting. Um, and, and I, at the moment, I was just concerned about helping her navigate the, the wellspring of tears. Um, but much later on, you know, she stuck with me and just that, that her reaction was not unusual. Um, that this idea that learning about how our bodies work is kind of fundamental to learning to appreciate who we are as people and just validating our experience as women. Um, 
you know, people on the podcast can't see it, but I'm tearing up right now. Like she, she still gets to me. This, this interaction still gets to me. And so I think when I actually started thinking about pursuing this more full time, hers was the voice that really came through because, you know, I started thinking about how can we serve these women who just really want to know more about themselves? Um, how do, how do we make this a norm that, that girls grow up feeling affirmed and validated and, and like they understand their bodies. Um, and so that's, that's been a huge kind of mission for me in the past couple of years is really thinking about how do we change this? How do we, um, how do we flip the script and, and get people this information? Yeah. When, as you were describing that story, I was getting, you know, kind of goosebumpy about, wow, the wave of emotion she must've felt Mm-hmm. But then also the wave of emotion that I was feeling just in about, well, wait a minute. Yeah, I, I think I started this conversation about, you know, not knowing things as a young person and feeling so awkward and embarrassed and not, mm-hmm. hey, everybody goes through this. And I, I, I remember I, I didn't, yeah, I always wanted to hide it, hide what, you know, I, I don't know, I didn't really fully yeah. appreciate what what the female body can do and is doing and why it's doing and all of that. Cause it never really was presented in a way that wasn't, um, I don't know. I just wasn't interested. You know, I, I wasn't curious about it. I was more about, I just yeah. didn't really, really want to know about it. So, well, thank you. So, so that was a real pivotal moment for you was that this, this is really important work. So the, the biology mm-hmm. starting to call you now. Yes. Yep. Not so much the music, it seems, but then also still the ministry, right? And helping others and serving others. So, okay, yeah, so keep, keep yeah. going. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and then I just kind of put this to the side for a while. There's not there's not a huge demand for the services that I do in terms of, you know, helping couples. I, I see a growing demand and I'm actually really encouraged by that. Um, but at the time, you know, it was just kind of, I'd get a couple here and there, you know, and I thought this is just something that I'm going to do on the side. I never really thought about making it the central focus of anything. I just thought this is one small thing I can do to kind of help, help the church and kind of pull my weight. Um, and then, you know, I, I worked in campus ministry at MIT. Um, and after that, my husband graduated and we moved to the burbs. He got a job and, you know, his first job out of grad school was great, but, you know, we had three kids at this point and we had all of a sudden a house and, you know, I said, I just, I'm not sure the finances are going to quite, quite meet. Um, so I think I need to pick up some work. So I started looking at, I was like, well, what can I do? I can work for the church. So I started looking around at parishes and, uh, I got a job doing youth ministry. So working with middle schoolers and high schoolers. Um, and that was, I think youth ministry is not exactly my cup of tea. It's not my strength. Um, not exactly the age group that I most love in the entire world. Um, but, but it taught me a lot of really good things and it helped me get some good connections, um, and just kind of gave me some confidence in areas that I I hadn't yet developed, which was good. And then when we were a little more financially stable and we started thinking about, okay, um, you know, what is life looking like now that our kids are in school and we have all these other things going on? I said, you know what, I'm going to take a step back from being employed outside of the home. And so I left that job after a few years doing it. And I said, you know, I'll just, I'll put my name out there a little bit and just see if, see if I could pick up a little bit more of the the NFP work. And uh, I got connected to a couple of Facebook groups. You know, I reached out and I said, you know, you can put me on your available instructor list just in case anybody 
needs anything. And that was when the floodgates kind of opened. Wow. Just two, um, groups, two groups on Facebook. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Um, I started getting, I want to say I got probably four inquiries each week about new instruction, um, which I had had maybe four inquiries in like the last three years before that, when I was <laughs> okay. just working with local folks. Um, so this is, this is a huge uptick. And I thought, oh my gosh. So then I started to figure out like, well, if there's this much need, I need to figure out how I can pace myself. Like how many clients can I actually take on? So all of a sudden I had to start thinking about a business, um, about, you know, before it had just been like, sure, I'll just take whoever comes. I've got plenty of time. And I was like, oh no, I cannot take this many people all the time because you're not just teaching them. You're following up with them through a whole year of like helping them navigate their charts and, you know, doing kind of consultations and checks with them all the time. So I was like, oh boy, I need to get something in place here. Uh, so that's when I really just started thinking about it. So I set up, I set up a business at that point. I set myself up as an LLC, um, partly because I didn't know any better, but also because I had had a couple of just pings of interest from parishes that needed me to do random things. Like, can you host a retreat? Can you manage our website? Can you do these other stuff? Um, and I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to do this kind of random consulting work, then I'll just set up an LLC and it should hopefully be fairly easy to navigate. Um, and so that's what I've been doing since. So my first LLC was not Pearl and Thistle. I changed my name, um, because now I actually have a, like a public face and I was like, oh, I should probably think about my business name a little more. Um, so what was your first name? My first name was the Suma Mama. Don't, it's, it, it doesn't even make sense. So, <laughs> so yeah, my, my theology background, um, one of my favorite works is the Summa Theologica by St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, and so I had developed kind of an online blogging personality over the years, um, referencing this, this, this kind of document. And um, I don't, it sounds silly when I say it out loud, when I try to explain it. I was like, oh, it's cute. It rhymes but nobody knew what it meant and nobody was really supposed to. It was just supposed to be something that I used for my business name, right? And then I started actually developing into what I would consider like a more legitimate business. <laughs> and I was like, oh, maybe I should think about this a little bit harder. <laughs> so I'm always playing catch up on the business stuff. I never have a business plan. I, maybe I shouldn't admit that, but I don't have one. So, <laughs> Well, it sounds like when people are finding you, you don't really need a business plan because- <laughs> Uh, you know, if you have more work than you can handle, then that's, yeah. uh, that's always uh, a good start for a business plan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That works. Yeah. First step in the business, get revenue. <laughs> oh, exactly. Oh, doing yeah. that. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so now how long have you been, you know, officially then Pearl and Thistle? So I just rebranded in the fall of 2020, actually. Um, so it was, I think September, when okay. I rebranded. Now, yeah. did you, did you embark on any business courses or you mentioned that, you know, you just talk to people that, you know, you can be vulnerable with and ask for pain. So did you, or did you just reach out to, to friends and family that you knew that maybe could coach you or? Uh, that would have been smart. I think, <laughs> um, no, I, I like to pride myself on being like a, I can self-teach a lot of things. Oh my gosh, that's bad advice. Don't just Google all your business questions. Um, no, so I am a part now. There are some online support groups for people who are in this particular field, just because I kind of straddle this like 
is it healthcare or is it ministry? Like, what, what is this weird thing that I do? And so there are support groups for people who are in this field um, and who more generally are in what we call uh, restorative reproductive health medicine. Um, and so I've had a lot of support from them uh, in terms of just trying to, to put together business plans and to kind of think about some of the logistics of running a business like this. So um, I, I have found them. I have found those groups. Um, I, it would have been nice to find them sooner. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes you have to experience the pain um, or the frustration more than once, right? Cause you go, you know what, this is what I need, or I need help here. Cause you don't even know you need, where you need help on something until all of a sudden you've got, you know, four calls a week. And then you're mm -hmm. like, oh, I need tools like scheduling and calendaring and, you know, different things. Yep. So, um, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, you, you mentioned earlier about um, you didn't decide to pursue your PhD. And I know when we talked the first time we met, mm -hmm. you had, that was uh, something on the back of your mind. So tell us yeah. a little bit about, so you've now embarked on this new practice, your new business. I mean, do you feel like you're, this is your, your dream job and you're, going where you want, or do you feel like, oh, there's still some unfinished business there with the PhD? No, that's, that's an interesting question because you're right. I really had thought that I, I wanted a PhD. Um, you know, I love, I'm just, I'm a naturally sort of kind of in my head intellectual person. I love learning. Um, and a lot of my social circles, to be perfectly honest, are, are filled with women who are getting their PhDs. And I thought, well, I can do that too, right? It's, it's a sort mm -hmm. of like, it's like a status symbol or it's a validation uh, in certain ways. And, and your husband and, got his. And my husband yeah. got his, you know, um, my, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of people <laughs> around me with many degrees. Um, and so, you know, I think what I realized along the way when I started expanding my business into doing more of the psychoeducation for girls and kind of developing my own programming, and I started getting contacted by people who were interested in my work and said, you know, could you come, could you, um, could you do some sessions for us? Could you like train us how to think about offering more support in our parish? Or um, could you help us think through some of these problems, actually people kind of calling me in to do consulting types of work. I thought, oh, this is satisfying. Um, you know, I wanted, I think what I wanted with the PhD was not so much the actual PhD, although I'm sure I would have loved just the extensive coursework because that's my personality. Um, but, but after the PhD, right, then the question is, is what next? And so mm -hmm. I think, you know, what I wanted was I wanted, I wanted some sort of validation that I was doing unique and valuable work. I wanted some sort of validation that I had something to offer, uh, you know, and, and I wanted, I wanted to feel like I was an expert in my field, you know, people, uh, people may want that sometimes. And so, you know, I put the label of PhD on that because I saw that that's, you know, what happened a lot of times, or at least that was my external perception. I know from the inside out that it's a little different. Um, but, uh, but now I'm realizing that it really, it was kind of a miss, a miss wanting that, that we think we want some things and we don't realize 
what we actually wanted out of it. And so what I have now is I have a business where I'm my boss. I love being my own boss. I don't think I would ever trade that ever again. <laughs> ever, ever. <laughs> I, I, I was so great. Um, and I, you know, I get to do things according to my interests and my priorities. And as long as there's people asking me to continue doing this work, then I feel, I feel validated. I feel like I have something to offer and it's intellectually stimulating for me, you know, to have people bring me these problems and to say, how, how can you help me with this? Or how can we work on this together? And I, I love it. I absolutely love it. So, you know, at this point, I don't miss the PhD. I think, you know, um, about all these other little tiny side jobs and opportunities and um, relationships that I would have missed out on if I had dug in and said, I'm going to do a PhD right away um, that, that have kind of led me to where I am right now. And so, um, you know, I thank, I actually have to thank one of my uh, college mentors. Um, he was a, actually a Dominican priest um, so he belonged to the order of preachers and I asked him cause he was doing his PhD at Notre, Notre Dame at the time. I said, you know, should I do a PhD? And his, his answer was never, ever do a PhD unless you are convinced you cannot live without one. He oh, said, he said, you have to love it so much, right. Um, that you're just convinced you can't live without it because otherwise it will crush you and you will resent it. And I thought that's, Ooh, that's really dramatic. But I, at the time I was like, no, I'm not entirely sure that I'm ready to have my soul crushed by a PhD. <laughs> and every time I thought about it, I would go back to his words and I'd say, okay, am I convinced that I can't live without it? Right. And that answer was always no. So I was like, okay, I'll just do this little check-in with myself. So I guess I won't do the PhD right now. I'll go do this other thing. And that actually served me pretty well. I think just having that periodic check-in about what okay. father Hover said, um, <laughs> Well, took it to heart. Thank you so much for sharing that perspective. And that's what I got when we talked earlier too, was this notion of you really had to, you know, do the deep thinking and deep reflection about why did you want the PhD? It's so yeah. easy to get caught up in that, those three letters, or, mm -hmm. you know, if you think about any, sometimes in your career, it's like, oh, I want to, you know, the promotion or, and right. it's the validation, it's the validation that we're looking for, right? The validation mm -hmm. that, I'm smart, that I'm successful, that I have good ideas, that I can mm -hmm. contribute, right? I mean, that's, mm -hmm. and, you know, PhD kind of gives the world up. Oh, that's what this means. Mm -hmm. um, but, I think, you know, too, it's also a question. You, I, I like that you bring up promotions, too, because it's a question of next steps, right? We mm -hmm. kind of grow up thinking that there's a certain script that you follow, right? You, you graduate from high school, and if your family expects you to go to college, then you go to college, and then after that, you know, if you're in a certain type of family, maybe you go on to your, your master's degree. And then after that, you do the PhD because those are the steps. And so if you ever get stuck, you kind of default to, okay, well, what's the next socially acceptable step that I should be making, right? So if I've got my master's degree and I'm capable of doing a PhD, then probably I should go do that. And I'm glad that I had people along the way and my husband included in that who who kind of affirmed the fact that you don't have to follow the script, you know, that, that what seems like the logical next step from, from the outside world, right? What, what the expectations of your own trajectory should be. Uh, you don't have to follow that. You're, you're welcome to follow the path that's in front of you. So 
you know, don't, don't be afraid to, to kind of deviate from what the script is, I think, um, yeah. is the message that I've, I've had to learn by doing it. Um, so if anybody out there is, is kind of considering, you know, should I just follow the next step? Sometimes the answer is just follow the next step, right? And, and see where it leads. But sometimes the answer is, you know, I'm not entirely sure that I should follow the next step. So then you, ha then you have to do the hard work of saying, well, what are my other options? You know? Yeah. Well, that's that what I, was I almost think it's harder to not do, to not follow the next step, mm -hmm. you know, cause it's not that, you know, um, like you said, that external view of what should be the next step. So now you have to figure out, well, what is the next step and what, what path do I follow? And, and in your case, you know, you've, you followed a lot of different paths, but there was, <laughs> there was, uh, you know, when you look back on it, there was the theme or there was the, the calling mm -hmm. in the, um, you know, and people inviting you in that, that, and had you not paid attention to those things, if right. you weren't trying to solve a, um, you know, to find a solution for yourself, your own self in your life and your family, you wouldn't have known that there wasn't information out there. And, you know, it, it's interesting how then that all transpired for you. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah in, in corporate, they talk about your career being, you know, up and to the right. And that you're always taking that next expected step, right? It's that mm -hmm. promotion. And that even if you leave an organization, the next one you should go into, again, up and to the right. You just keep going in that uh, that next step. But I love mm -hmm. how you talk about it in terms of next steps versus up and to the right. Because I think next steps is more universally understood mm. uh, than that up and to the right thing that, that I've been talking about. So, well, Christina, I, I gosh, I just like our first conversation could keep going, but we do need to start wrapping this up. So yeah, yeah. When you look back on your career and your life so far and where you're at, uh, mm -hmm. what do you think has served you best? And it could be a personality trait or a common theme or, you know, what served you best? Mm -hmm. <sighs> well, yeah, I was, I was thinking long and hard about this. And I actually think that um, something that I consider to be a personality flaw <laughs> which is, um, I, I'm kind of impulsive and impatient. Uh, so when I get an idea to do something, I, I want to do it right away, right? So I'm not, I'm never going to write a novel. Gosh, I'm just, it's not going to happen because that's just going to take a ton of work to like sit down and really thoroughly plot out a novel and to get it done. No, I, I love, I love projects and I love just coming up with an idea of a project and just doing it, just implementing it right away. So I'll sit down and I'll map out, you know, I'm, I'm a planner. And so I'll, I'll get it down, I'll get my idea down and I'll just do it right away, no hesitation. And, um, you know, I think if I would have taken some time, <laughs> if I would have been a little less impatient to get ideas going, um, I might've talked myself out of some things along the way. And, um, so I think that where I am right now is the result of kind of a lot of impulsive decisions that I made uh, that were well guided. I want to give myself a little bit of credit. Um, intuition, let's call that intuition. It, yeah, we'll call it intuition. <laughs> yes, I have honed my intuition well so that my impulsive decisions end up being right. Um, I don't know. I, that's, that's the scapegoat. But, uh, but I think, yeah, I could have talked myself out of a lot of things along the way. And I think... Um, I have to be more aware of that, that like when I get caught up in my head, when that little voice starts to get critical and to tell me that I can't do things, you know, I kind of have to just like block that out and say, no, like I'm, I'm passionate about this. I think I can do it. I'm just going to do it. And to follow that a little bit um, and to, to lean into that more as 
you know, a strength that can carry me through some troubled times rather than seeing it as a, as a flaw. Um, so le learning to treat my impatience as, as something that has actually been a little bit of a gift to myself along the way. Um, and then I think also just good advice from some really loving people. Um, you know, I think just really taking to heart, as I said earlier, you know, trusting that, that there are people out there who, who really care for you and they want what's best in your life. And, um, you know, sometimes they'll say things and you'll say, oh, that's not my vision for myself, right? Um, but, but if enough people say it to you, then maybe you should start listening to it. And maybe you should adopt that as part of your internal script. Um, and, and I've been very blessed with people who, who are willing to challenge me on some things and to, and to say, you know, I really think that you could do this. And I'll say, no, 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 I want to go do this other thing, right? And, uh, and they challenge me, and I'm grateful for that. So if you have people in your life who are, who are trying to validate you in something, and you're like, oh, I feel like I'm getting sidetracked by listening to them, that may not be the case. They may be pointing you exactly where you need to go. Interesting, interesting. You know, one of the things, I just did my 80th episode this last week, and on the milestones, like, you know, 70, 80, 60. Yeah, congratulations. Recap. Thank you. I do a recap of the, the episodes that came right before that. And one of the two things that, you know, sparked in my head when you were just talking, one was about your impatience. And I really looked at that as being in action that, you know, sometimes people do, they, they have an idea, but they never get in action and they talk themselves mm. out of it and they let that fear take over. So I appreciate yeah. you talking about, you called it impatience, but I would call it action and drive, right, yeah. you know, <laughs> and how do you bring those things forward? And then yeah. the other thing is that many times we can't see for ourselves what our gifts are, our strengths, our core competencies, because they're just, they come easy to us. And it seems yep. so obvious. And Yet when other people bring stuff up to you, that's why sometimes you're like, well, no, that's not what's, that's not me or that's not, it's kind of like, no, it, it really, you have to pay yes. attention yes. to the, how, how, how you're being received out in the world and what they're picking up on that maybe, mm -hmm. you, and you know, sometimes it's called a blind spot, but I think that sometimes seems like it's a negative thing, but a lot of times it can also be such a positive thing that you can't see about yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My nephew, I suggested to him that he should consider being a teacher. He's so good at explaining things and working with people. And I've seen it even with younger kids when he was younger and, oh, no, well, maybe, but, you know, uh, you know, and, and then he started talking about this teacher he had at this tech college and, um, you know, so what he has in his mind is this image of what that needs to look like, because that's what others right. look like. And I'm like, nah, there's, there's some, there's something there. And my husband has even said that about the nephew, you know, I mm -hmm. think he would be a good teacher, uh, but he's yeah. not, he's not, that's not a vision he sees for himself. Like I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I had this beautiful thing. I mean, maybe my closing comment can just be sharing that, you know, it, it, there's going to be a lot of setbacks and you're going to, doubt yourself, right? Um, but once in a while, you're going to get these really beautiful consolations from people. You're going to get that person who takes the time to reach out. And so I always try in my life to take the time to reach out to people and to validate them because you want to be that person. You want to be that one little voice who encourages them. Um, but I just recently got an email from a young woman. I had done a talk for her group about body literacy. And you know, she just very simply said, you know, thank you so much, Christina. You know, you talked so beautifully and naturally about this topic. It's like you were made to do this. 
And I thought I'm, I'm, I'll die happy. Right. Like if I'm doing what people perceive is like the thing I was made to do, then I know I'm, you know, I I know I'm on the right track and I need to listen to that. And I need to pay attention to those little voices that, that validate me along the way. And to, to store up those beautiful consolations that you get from people, um, because they'll carry you really far. Wow. Well, I do think that those are perfect closing remarks. So let's, let's go ahead and, and close there. So thank you, Christina, for sharing today uh, your story, but also a very important topic that I think most women, you know, we, we just have educated ourselves over the years. And so mm-hmm. I wish I'd had something like this when I was a young person and starting life. So thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. So many, so many words of wisdom that I can pull from here. So, oh, thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for for elevating these conversations and for encouraging people to to share their stories. Um, I just want to validate you <laughs> in the work that you're doing because it is it's such a, it's a beautiful thing that you're doing for people. And so, so thank you for having me. It's been a, a real blessing. It has been my pleasure. And thank you for those words. I'm going to take those to heart because. Uh, you know, we're having a conversation, which for me is, um, is easy to have, but I love doing it, but I am, I'm, I'm in the right place. And this has been so fun for me and I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm going to keep going. So you're going to be episode, I think in number 85 or something like that. All just, right. I'm Ooh. keeping it going. So all right. Well, we'll, we'll wrap up on that note and listeners, if you enjoyed today's interview, please subscribe below and you'll be alerted as new interviews are published. If you have any questions for me or for Christina, please note them on my website, lifestorycurator.com, and I'll make sure to pass those on to her. And on that note, I guess I would just say to folks, stay safe, stay well, and let's keep sharing those stories.